Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just two bucks on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for. And done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switched to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face. And done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. Friday and welcome back for a brand new episode of The Witching Hour. I am like a super tie-dyed Perry Nemiroff today and Haley's got some colors going on too. What does your shirt say? Oh, it's CCXP. Oh. It's Brazil. Everything's on the wrong side. Um, I We're just both wearing color shirts. Huh? We're both wearing color oh, shirts. And we're so colorful and conned. So funny. <laughs> um, not conned at all. But I didn't even think about it. I just pulled this out because it was the easiest shirt to grab, but they did just announce yesterday that CCXP is going digital this year. Not a surprise. Yeah. But they're not outright canceling it. No, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what San Diego Comic-Con has to hold as a digital, uh, all virtual event. It'll be interesting. Well, having uh, watched our Constantine reunion panel, I can tease that Keanu stands will be happy. He's okay. Cute. He's so cute. <laughs> and just, I believe this was something he said many times. He just loves making movies. I saw the uh, the screen grabs you put in the work slack, and I approve. So cute. So we are going to have a fun topicy show for you today. We just like randomly picked a topic, and the topic we landed on is horror movies that bombed at the box office that are now considered classics. So that's, that's our theme for the day. I don't know how you like approach making your list. Yeah. But I didn't include anything that was really indie. Cause like, obviously. Um, let me like do a little peek on my list. I don't think I have anything super indie here. I'm sure there are I mean, actually. Uh, the lowest budgeted movie I have here is a $3 million movie, but I, it's still not like indie, indie, like, like relic, you know? Right. I just feel like if you open up that door, then you're going to have a list of 700 movies. No, that's fair. So 
how do you want to do this? Do you have your list and I have my list? Yeah. Do you want to just go back and forth? Sure. Do you want to go first or do you want me to? I'll go first because I'll start with what I think is the most obvious uh, talked about one, which is probably like everybody has already guessed what I'm going to say. It's the thing. Yeah. It's like considered by many the greatest horror movie of all time. And it was just critically reviled, tanked at the box office. And um, I think it's an interesting one to talk about because a lot of times the blame gets put on E.T. coming out two weeks before. And I'm not sure that's how that works. I mean, that's an interesting consideration, but from my perspective, that's more of a reflection of what people wanted from alien movies in that era mm-hmm. as opposed to like E.T. killed the thing. Yeah. I don't know. That seems that would seem like a little bit of a stretch to me. It's also as much as I love my box office predictions those predictions are very heavily reliant on the most recent trends. Mm -hmm. So it's like if we had, you know, a family friendly alien movie coming out tomorrow and we were in a traditional box office space, I can never compare that to E.T. because I don't know, just inflation and movie going habits and just about everything has changed so much. So, you know, in thinking about the thing versus E.T., like I'd like to, time capsule that little period of time and have a better understanding of what people were spending their money on at that point. But the thing, the thing about the thing is it just, I don't know. It just like, doesn't make all that much sense to me, given how good that movie is. I just, I don't know. Usually I'm pretty good at understanding the others, the other opinion, but I don't really understand how anybody could rip that movie to shreds. It's interesting. I was watching, you know, some of the trailers for it and they didn't seem super misleading. They didn't mm-hmm. seem unappealing. Um, it's really hard for me to fully like make a thesis on why this one tanked when it is one of the greatest movies ever made. And when it had, you know, Kurt Russell, a star reteaming with a director that they already like audience already loved them together. You know, Carpenter was, they had a thing going and people liked it. So it's just, it's weird. I'm I'm scrolling through the Wikipedia page right now where it gets to the critical response. And there's a a Cinefantastic issue with the cover asking, is this the most hated movie of all time? And then some of the other poll quotes they have here is, I can't, I can't believe that these things were actually written quintessential moron movie of the eighties, <laughs> instant junk, a wretched excess, cold and sterile. And then here, here's actually one about ET optimism of ET, the reassuring return of star Trek two, the technical perfection of Tron and the sheer integrity of blade runner. So that, that actually they're saying that it was attempting to cash in on the genre audience against all of those things. The optimism of E.T.? My friend, no. Whoever you are who wrote that, no. The plot plot is being criticized as boring. Like, I, I, for the life of me, just cannot, I don't get it. I told, so I told you what I rewatched recently. This is very off topic, but I rewatched Aquaman recently and- 
sadly a lot of people know, then I didn't really like that movie all that much the first time I saw it. And I certainly got a lot of shit for it, but it's my opinion and I'm going to own it. And I can't say a second rewatch changed how I felt about it. I still don't think it's for me, but I did feel that sense of like wacky, fun, loving adventure that I think is one of the most appealing elements of the movie to other people. So it's like in that case, like I get it. I get why you like Aquaman so much. I cannot understand for the life of me why someone would call the thing boring. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's weird. I mean, it's a slow movie to start. It's but it's it's not like slow burn to start. It it starts to me almost like with that disaster movie kind of intrigue. That's true. I want you know. It is one of those things that I. I feel a lot of times people well that's very generic but some people don't appreciate movies that really take their time to establish characters um which is one of my favorite things in a horror movie <laughs> and and i see that a lot and it, it makes me think back to our conversation about underwater the alien versus underwater thing where yeah. alien spends a half hour just quietly getting to know these people where underwater starts with the action mm-hmm. um and obviously I'm of the opinion that the slower version is more effective. And I think mm-hmm. thing along the thing along with alien is one of the movies that best does that, like introduces you to all of this small cast who are stuck away together before getting super crazy. Um, but you, you do find in a lot of reviews of movies that take that approach, the slow complaint. I, don't want to make a broad assumption, but I feel like if that is the complaint when it comes to certain movies that do it well and use it to build a foundation for maybe the flashier moments later on, that's like a lazy viewing on the viewer's part of the beginning of a movie where you're not taking the time to really, you know, sit and process what you're learning about when it comes to these people. I also wonder, and I think this will be a recurring theme as we go through these, how much of it has to do with, like, the expectation of what you're going to get from a horror movie. Like, what you think a horror movie is versus what the filmmaker is going to give you. All right. I'm looking at at my list, and I'm trying to find a next one that kind of fits that description. And I think the best one I could come up with is... It's actually the only recent release that I have on my list. I put Dr. Sleep here. Oh, it's a good call. Budget on that movie is $45 million, and it only made $72.4 million worldwide. And, you know, I know we're talking about movies that are, are, you know, certified classics at this point, and that's still a fairly fresh release. But I still think that there's a lot of conversation that – suggests that that movie is heading in that direction. I also happen to think it's a great movie, and I think it just got hit with a really shitty release date. Why? Why would you release that movie on November 15th and not on Halloween, especially on a year when there was no good Halloween horror competition? Yeah, I I don't know. And it's also, I mean, I kind of get that, like, The Shining is very much a wintry movie, and maybe they were trying to feed into the, like, Mm -hmm. the holiday the thanksgiving holiday period but it yeah obviously didn't work out and but, that was but uh dr sleep has like the opposite vibe it's more like summery and baseball-y <laughs> like it's Definitely. not it's not like stranded at the overlook during winter 
Uh, it's also, I think the overlook might be a part of it. Like what it, <laughs> well, it's curious because Dr. Sleep was probably a bad idea for the title. Nobody knows what the hell that is, unless you're a big Stephen King fan. Fair. Um, they is as gross as it is. If they had called it the shining Dr. Sleep or something like that, I think yeah. there would be more immediate interest, but it is also like the book and the film are very different to the original, whether it's the original Shining or the original Ruby. And and I wonder, even though they didn't put it in the title, they certainly played up the imagery a lot in the trailers. Yeah. And I, I just wonder how much people were not prepared for such an emotional, rather sweet film. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much why I brought this one up now, because it does seem to kind of fit that mold of, you know, it's got a, a predecessor that, Many consider it to be one of the scariest movies of all time, and Doctor Sleep is not, and that's not a bad thing because it's not what it was going for. Yeah, but yeah. I still want everybody to see it. Yeah, and if you haven't, definitely check out the director's cut on HBO because, uh, or you can get it not on HBO. I just try to go with the cheaper route. Uh, yeah. if you already have that. Um, it's really it's a very different movie. Block out your time as long as hell. Yeah, was it three and a half? Hours? Yeah, <laughs> three right. thirty-six or something crazy. Do, do a double feature that and the director's cut of Midsommar, and there's and your whole day. There's your real sad day. <laughs> uh, but it is it is a very different movie, and it, it's fitting because that's a long book. Yeah. It is a lot. It's a great book. It's a great, great book. I fell so hard for that book when I read it. I couldn't believe how much I loved it. Just because, like, I mean, it's the same thing with the movie, too. When you have an original like The Shining that sets such high expectations, you're you're always expecting to not like it as much. And, yeah. I, like, I honestly think that I like Dr. Sleep, the book, just as much as I like The Shining, the book. And Mostly. But they're very different books. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they are. It's not quite apples and oranges, but it's like apples and pears. I don't know. They're they're very different. <laughs> that is that's very true. Do you want to you want to give us the next one, or do you want me to give another? Uh, I'm going to carry on with this theme of like maybe what you expect versus okay. what you get. And this is a very interesting one that's also recent: Annihilation. Ah, all right. Which is one of the weirder movies put in theaters in Las It is. Uh, I think it's very hard to appropriately sell what you're in for with that movie. Mm -hmm. But also that one is super fascinating because Paramount, to a certain extent, hobbled it by putting it on Netflix internationally. Mm -hmm. That that was a, a very messy situation. And wasn't that like right around the time of the Cloverfield Paradox problem? There were there were like a lot of you know, un, unflattering questions regarding Paramount releases at that period of time. And I definitely think the nature of the movie and the difficult themes and, you know, the very curious ending, I think that probably pushed a lot of people away. And, you know, I feel like if you didn't know a lot about the source material, that was one, like I do actually, I want to look it up right now. I'll bet you anything the cinema score on that is extremely low, which is usually a sign of expectations not being met. If somebody goes in thinking they're getting a certain movie and they get this like really heady, weird thing that they can't fully wrap their brain around immediately, it probably got a low score. And Annihilation has a, 
Oh, it's actually not as bad as I thought it would be. It's a C. I thought it was going to be even lower than that. That's pretty bad, though, for a cinema score. It's pretty it's pretty bad. I feel like a lot of genre movies, though, tend to have low cinema scores. They do. They do. But it's it's actually a super rare amount that get a straight up F. There's only a couple of them. Like mother. (laughs) Isn't it only like like a list of 20 that even have the F? It's it's very brief. I don't even know if there are that many. Um, But uh, that in mind, a C is still pretty low. Yeah. A few films do get the F. Um, What I find interesting about all the three that we've talked about so far, and it certainly doesn't hold true for my entire list, but they were all star vehicles like they all had big name actors in the title or not the title role, but the lead role. And obviously the like general idea in Hollywood is that movies get greenlit on the basis of stars appeal factor, Mm -hmm. uh, which clearly doesn't always help. Yeah. I mean, I feel like more and more we're seeing that be the case where, you know, a very high paid a list actor isn't necessarily a big winner. I mean, in in researching horror movies that wound up bombing at the box office, you know, I just scrolled past something like Gemini Man with Will Smith oh behind it. And that was a very pricey movie that didn't perform. Yeah. And that movie was like it tried to be made for something like two decades or something. I feel I feel for them in that department. I mean, it, it probably doesn't help that Gemini Man just like it's not a great movie. It's not terrible, but it's not great. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. I, yeah. it's it's fine. I suppose I should say that like I am also maybe a little jumping the gun here and saying that like Annihilation is a stone cold classic in my opinion, mm-hmm. and it I think it will hold up over time and especially as more people who may have missed it in theaters continue to see it. If the enduring traffic on our articles about it are any indication, it certainly has a long lasting footprint. I do wonder if morbid curiosity winds up being a factor in those articles though, because like didn't our mother ending explainer do really well for a really long time? It still does. And I think that part of it might be morbid curiosity. I think it's part of it is they are both pretty confusing movies. That too. Um, but it's also a big part of it is streaming. They are, are really available on streaming across platforms. I mean, Annihilation is on international Netflix, and I, I believe just recently left Amazon and Hulu, so it was available on all three of the major uh, streaming options for a long time, uh, which gives me hope that, you know, it will have more of an enduring legacy because it is so accessible now. It could. It could. feel like... Um, I feel like I want to stay in the Stephen King zone with this next one. One second. I just want to say, I always think about when I think about Annihilation, I was thinking about when we had um, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. It wasn't even the witching hour yet. It was sort of inspired the witching hour. Yeah, that's true. One of them was like the whole last 30 minutes of that is like a a MoMA exhibit. (laughs) Like, yeah, I could see how that's hard to market. I hadn't thought about that in a long time. Not that specific comment, but just that, like, that that was the start of it all. Oh, it's such a lovely memory. Yeah, I like that it's the two of them that, that we can credit with that, of all people. 
their nice voice. And it was such a nice thing because Perry was just going to interview them. And I was like, oh, man, I love that movie. And Perry, being the best person, was like, well, why don't you do it with me? And that's the witching hour. I want Haley to do everything with me. (laughs) Likewise. (laughs) All right. Stephen King, I got another one for you. Do you know Mm -hmm. where I'm going with this one? No. The Mist. Oh, okay. You know, less less of a less of a bomb than some of the other titles I have here, but in uh, worldwide total wise, it cost eighteen million dollars to make that movie, and it made something like fifty seven million. And I think it was just it's considered more so of a bomb because I think the studio had a lot had much higher expectations for what it was going to wind up making. And also, I don't know, even now being so far removed from the release, I still go back and I watch that movie, and I think that like. That movie has a quiet place type of appeal Hmm. where it's like, if that the mist was coming out at about that time of year, I'm going to be like, watch that April release. That's going to pop. People are going to go nuts for that. And apparently it didn't happen. And I happen to think it's one of the best Stephen King film adaptations we have, period. Hell yeah. I'm hardcore in that camp. Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit obsessed with that movie. Mm -hmm. Um, See, that's I, another thing, though. It's got that obsessive quality. That's that's what a lot of these have. And it's a very difficult thing. Sorry to interrupt you, but it's a very difficult thing to put into words. It's just like it's that feeling when something just clicks and you can't stop thinking about it. and You want to jump back into that world and be with those characters again. The Mist has it. Oh, absolutely. I wrote a piece on the uh, on the Mist for the 10 year anniversary. And I was just as fired up and passionate about writing that article as I would have been the day I walked out of the theater had I been writing articles at that time. Um, I will, I will never ever forget my uh, my theatrical experience with the mist. I took a forty five minute bus ride to the nearest theater that was playing it, which I live in California, so that says that it was not playing in enough theaters, um, because there. Where near where I lived, we had a theater two minutes up the street. We had one 10 minutes up the street. We had one 15 minutes over the way. We had like six local theaters, but I had to go really far out to find the movie. And when I got there, it was just me and three guys in the whole theater. And uh, that also was like, okay, people are not seeing this. Um, And the reason I'll never forget is right in the middle of it, the, the projector stopped working and because oh. there were so few of us in the theater, they didn't notice for quite a while. Um, so eventually I had to run out and be like, y'all need to fix this problem. But it just, the whole whole memory really speaks to how it just didn't perform as well yeah. as it should have. Um, I'm looking up the theater count. It looks like it had about 2,400 theaters which you know it's not the widest possible release like we get 3,000 plus all the time now but it's a good amount but I do wonder if another issue with this one is it's Thanksgiving release you know we we usually don't really see very many horror movies get a Thanksgiving release I mean when you think about celebrating family doing that with the mist is probably you know not the first option on your to-do list (laughs) but yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's another another factor. Is it's a supremely grim movie. Just oh my God, yeah, the grimness. Oh, that ending. <laughs> well, that's another thing. Okay, so 
I'm another factor that makes me surprised of why it didn't do better is mm-hmm. like Stephen King before Twitter, before Stephen King became like a professional hype man, hyped the hell out of that ending. I think he said anyone who spoils this deserves to be shot in the face or something like that. Um, but it was it was extreme, whatever he said. Uh, I just like you would think that 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 endorsement from the author would have inspired the fans to go see it, but uh, not so. I, I like want to look up that exact quote now. That is Watch it be super lovely. That is uh, well, that's something else. <laughs> but this is definitely a certified classic too. You know, like I, now that I'm looking on the Wikipedia page again. You know, you scroll through and you see that this is a movie that's on a lot of best of all time lists now. And it just didn't click at the box office. All right. Next one. All right. I I was not quite correct. He said, I loved the ending and anybody stupid enough to spoil this thing deserves pitchforks and torches treatment. Okay, that's that's a lot more playful than what you were <laughs> what you said before. I told you it was a loose approximation, but he was mad, big okay. mad. Uh, the other thing I'll say about the myth is it's interesting because um, why is my brain doing this to me? The director, why, why? Frank, Frank Darabont, yes, um, had a reputation for being one of the best sort of adapters of mm-hmm. Stephen King, and he. I don't know, but when I think about the flip side of that is that Frank Darabont very intentionally and open, openly made it a political film. So it is like very much a anti-group think um, war on terrorism, Bush era political movie. So I could see that being a dividing factor, especially at Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I just I'm really impressed with the mist. OK, yeah, <laughs> as am I. All right. I think you're up. Where, where do you want to go next? Where do I want to go next? Let's see. Um, well, okay. This one isn't quite horror. It's like horror Give adjacent. Give me a mm-hmm. hint. Give me a hint. Let's see if I can guess it. 80s dark comedy. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I didn't even try. <laughs> so, uh, Heather's. Oh, I have that on my list too. That was the $3 million one that I referenced before. Nice. Yeah, that one's interesting because it's Winona yeah. in her era. Yep. How? How did this happen? Yeah, I I don't I don't really know. And it's just like like it almost felt like it was a little bit ahead of its time when you think about some of the other, like, you know, with with a bigger comedic spin, but when you think of some of like the hot like teen high school movies that came out in the nineties and early two thousands, it's like this was a step ahead. And you think that this would have kind of like sparked the fire that paved the way to those. And I guess it did in a sense, but it just doesn't have the box office to show for it. Mm-mm. It, I don't know. This one baffles me. And But I have to remember also that like this is the movie that kind of made Christian Slater the guy mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Because when I think about it from hindsight, I'm like, how did they sleep on Winona and Christian being hot together? Uh, but really, she was the hot, hot thing in that movie. Um, yeah. I don't know. And it's it's cool that, especially, I don't know, horror, straight up horror, 
I wrote a little bit about this in my um, best horror movies of 2020 list I published today. But like horror has been for so long pushed aside or rebelled against or, or you know, condemned, banned by governments, certain films that it, it essentially as a genre had to create a space in which it could exist outside the mainstream, which is my argument being. I think that's why horror has been so excellent this year, despite theater closures and everything mm-hmm. that's happening is because horror always has alternate mediums. Um, comedy doesn't really have that built in. So I think it's really cool that Heather's managed to become this classic after bombing so hard without that infrastructure built in for that genre. And that is, that is interesting. I'm, uh, I'm reading up a little bit about how, how it kind of wound up with its legacy and, you know, it was, it it was, uh, it started when it was released on Laserdisc and VHS in 89. Laserdisc. Laserdisc. I completely forgot that was a thing that existed. I think we might have some in storage and I really hope we do because I mostly just want the cases. Oh yeah. We never, we never had any Laserdiscs, but I still do have almost all of the VHS tapes that I used to be obsessed with as a kid. My dad was a big media tech guy, so he really? wanted always the latest thing. So we have every four-track, eight-track, uh, Laserdisc, VHS, all the whole journey of media. I, I I don't know. I I don't know what happened to me at some point. I used to be, like, I still am a big collector. Like, I like to have the physical things that I love. But when it comes to media, I definitely went digital. And it, I, I have a very difficult time justifying the point for me to own all of that. Mm. I'm, I'm moving away from that. I have been a very digital person, but as studios start sort of tweaking their material from the past and making things unavailable because mm-hmm. they're controversial, I, I more and more look back towards getting Blu-rays. And- that's fair. I, Especially my big thing is I always want to buy one that comes with a digital code. Okay. (laughs) Then you get both. I think my, my main thing is just that like, like I I want all of my media to go. Like I want to be able to access it whenever I want, wherever I want. And you can't also another reason why I completely stopped buying DVDs is that the laptops don't have a way to play them anymore. Yeah. Like I literally have, like nowhere right now to play a DVD. I I do just because I have a Blu-ray player, but uh, it's, it's so old that the Netflix app no longer works. I have, I have a Blu-ray player in my apartment in LA. So that's part of the reason why I don't have access to that at this very moment. But, you know, even when I think about using that in LA, I am still much more likely to press play on a digital version of a film than, and this is going to sound so lazy. No, than I know like, where you're going. Take the cable and to plug it into the TV and to switch the input and all that stuff. I'm the same way. I was just saying in the work slack the other day, I'm so lazy that uh, HBO Max is not on Roku, so I can't pull it up on my TV. That would mean I'd have to open my phone and use Google Chrome. Cast, and I'm not doing that. Yeah, so HBO Max. So well, I understand completely. Hey, that that's gonna be an issue that I think they're gonna have to fix in the very near future. Yeah, they're they're gonna have to get their shit together and end up on Apple and Roku. It's it's a bit ridiculous, especially now that they're pulling 
Um, HBO Now is leaving at the end of the month, so I will have no way to watch HBO on my TV unless I go to, you know, my phone, which I'm not doing. I've just been, I've been pretty uh, attached to my iPad lately. I feel like what's whatever's most accessible there, because it's like now that I'm in a house with other people, it's it's like legit that old school fight for the remote. It's very weird, like especially as someone who lives alone, it's very weird to not be able to watch whatever I want every night. So it's like usually usually now that I'm in New York with them, I go to bed stupid early just so I can have like my private time in my private space to binge all my stuff before I go to sleep. I get it. I mean, I do live with other people, but I have my like I have a TV in my room because I'm very bad at self-care. Um, and so I, I have full reign. And if I didn't, the only time I get like the last time I did not have full reign was when I lived with my college boyfriend and that didn't go great. <laughs> yeah, I'm not not a good remote share. No, I want I want to do what I want to do. Yeah, pretty much. Well, especially when you have stuff to watch for work. Like, there's only so much time in the day. You got to get on your shit. And it's like, like if you let someone watch a two-hour movie, that's two hours that you lost. That's two episodes of a Netflix show you have to watch in time for your interview on Wednesday. Monday. Time for that. Monday. <laughs> I have how many hours of a certain show? I have seven hours of a show left. I guess a little less. But I'm going to get there by Monday morning enjoy it too i know i'm really happy about this one all right another movie what to bring up right now so i'm like i'm terrified we're not going to have enough time to get to all of these so i want to put like a high priority one on the list now it's the faculty nice what like how did that movie only make 40 million worldwide? It was prime time for a movie like The Faculty. It had like the hottest young ensemble you could have at that period of time. And the movie is freaking great. It's got that disaster movie appeal. The effects are like super crazy and cool. It's got so many incredible set pieces and it only made 40 million worldwide. But people today are obsessed with it. And I'm going to make that broad statement. You're always tweeting about it. Everybody is. (laughs) It's wonderful. I feel like that was. um... Oh, I'm going to read a lot into this situation and just go go completely biased opinion here folks i feel like that was um maybe a situation where adults weren't taking teen content seriously because (laughs) everyone i know who's the right age always loved that movie always and everyone i like me and my friend group admittedly at least 60 percent because of josh hartnett were obsessed with that movie yeah we watched it nonstop, and it just it's it seems to me that if you were in the demo for it, you always loved it. And if you weren't, you didn't take it seriously until you had some hindsight. Haley, hmm. this is crazy. I'm more excited about this than you'll probably be. So I every, every time we talk about one of these movies, I navigate over to the, the Wikipedia page just to see, like, the response and what it was up, up against and all that shit. Do you know what's in the last paragraph of the reception section? What? Brace yourself. I'm going to read it. Haley Fouch considers the faculty as one of the most iconic 1990s teen horror movies. And then oh, it's yeah. a quote from your article. 
Legend. I am like freaking out for you right now. Like you are on the back of the Wikipedia page. This is my legacy. (laughs) I'm so excited. That's amazing. Um, And I would have to say that I'm correct. It's from you. You ranked the 90s teen horror movies. Yes. Did I put it at number one? No, I would have put Scream. Scream is number one. Scream is hold on. The whole the whole page is like further populating now. But I will I will happily revisit this list really quickly. All right, we're getting there. We're getting there. You're right, because those are like my movies. Slides take a while. Wow, you wrote big blurbs for these. I told you, I, these are my movies. <laughs> these blurbs are like 10 times the size of our average blurb now. Number I'm one is Scream. Number two is The Faculty. Hell yeah. Way to go, me. I agree with myself. <laughs> I totally agree with you as well. That. <laughs> That just like made the episode for me. I'm so excited. And now I want to go really watch the faculty. It's always a good time. I'm surprised they haven't remade that movie yet. And I know it's like, you know, a remake Invasion of the Body Snatchers, all that kind of stuff. But it's just like that in particular, like just that whole concept and setting it at a high school and everything they did with it seems so ripe for a remake right now. Absolutely. Right now especially it's super timely i'm and i'm curious where like where was robert rodriguez at in his career he hadn't really delivered the huge box office hits of you know sin city or spy kids yet right no he had i don't think so i think those were were a good deal later yeah so he was mostly coming off of his desperado and el mariachi films from dust hold on yeah yeah that's, um, that's a big one. And I think Spy Kids was next. Uh-huh. So he he was he was he was having like a good a good period there. Spy Kids is fun. It is fun. I actually uh revisited not the whole movie, but it was on TV, so I watched a few scenes and I was like, Yeah, I still fuck with this. It's a good time. Yeah, yeah I could agree with that. All right, what you got for us next? I'm gonna I'm gonna stay on theme. Okay. With- Rodriguez and throw out Grindhouse. Oh, yes. All right. That's that's a good call. I Man. think calling it a, a bona fide classic might be a stretch, but I sure do enjoy it. Yeah, I feel like um it's more like it's more of like a like a niche classic. Like people who know it know it and love it, but uh, like a cult classic in fitting with the Grindhouse theme. Yeah. yeah. Wow. God, this movie had a big budget. I didn't realize it was this high. $67 million. But you do have to remember it's it's two movies. Yeah, no, I know, I know. But still, it's like if if like the math equation on box office mojo is right, it's still like a $67 million budgeted project that only took in $25 million at the worldwide box office. Woof. Yeah, that is a rough one. That's a rough one. That's actually another one I very specifically remember having to take the journey to the big theater only to see it with an empty audience. Yeah, this one this one had a really rough run. They debuted it on Easter weekend. I know. I know. And then and then on top of that, this movie left theaters so so fast it was under a thousand theaters by weekend four of release i know yeah it's i mean 
it had a rough start, but it's like it didn't even have a chance after that anyway. I it was so like not a thing that I didn't even have to fight anybody to take home the standee from the theater. Like we oh. used to have to divide those up or debate oh. about what and I like I was like, I'm gonna take this and they're like, Yeah, I don't give a fuck. What was in your standee collection? Um, I have gosh, it's been so long since I've seen it out of storage. I know that I have the Life Aquatic. Okay. I have the the Grindhouse. It I think the only part I ended up keeping from the Grindhouse one is the cutout of Rose McGowan with the leg. Yeah, yeah. Um gosh, I really don't remember. It's been like ten years since I've seen oh, it. Well. I I only have my uh my Pennywise standee left. I quite mm-hmm. like that one though. <laughs> Sometimes, uh, sometimes I forget it's there and it creeps me out. I have an outrageous movie poster collection and storage that, like, I hope when I finally go through it, I'm sure there'll be some cool movies, but yeah. mostly I'm excited to see the forgotten films. Like, what's oh. in there nobody remembers? Yeah. I wonder, like, are the, I, I guess those are from the movie theater that you worked at? Yeah. That's so cool. It was fun. I like that. All right. Next up here. I feel like I'm wasting so much time just making the decision of what to talk about next. <laughs> Here's another one I don't want to miss out on. Hocus Pocus. Oh, wow. Okay. That That is a real, real classic there. I mean, who doesn't watch Hocus Pocus around Halloween time? And I feel like that is one of those really special movies where, like, it doesn't matter what age you are. That's a movie that you'll always carry with you and pass down. Or at least I really look forward to passing that one down to my niece when she's older and old enough. Movie had a $28 million budget and it only made like just under $40 million at the Worldwide Box Office. Okay, I'm sorry. That's a psychotic budget for a, that movie in that era. That is that is a fair point. That is a very fair point. What I mean, did go to? Bette Midler? Maybe. maybe I was going to say, maybe the ensemble was asking for the big yeah, ones. I'm thinking it had to be the cast because... It's not, I mean, there are cool sets and stuff, but yeah. that says 20 minutes in the 90s. I can't really think of anything else. And like, even the creature effects, like they're cool, but they're minimal. <laughs> and they're, they're like practical makeup stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, wow. that's how much it cost. That's my I think part of the problem with this one is they tried to capitalize on the younger viewership and rather than release this Halloween movie around Halloween, it was a summer release. Wow. And I think I think that's what did it in. And you know, when you've got something like that, you're in prime territory to to gain the following that you missed out on at the appropriate time of year. How is that even how? How was that decision made? I demand answers because that's the most Halloween movie, except maybe Trick or Treat. How? I don't know. July 16th. 1993. Explain yourself. Disney. Was it Buena Vista? Disney straight up? I think it was Buena Vista. Hold on. I can get the answer here. Uh, uh, Yeah. Distributed by production company is listed as well as uh, Disney. But I like, I wonder if their thinking was let's capitalize on kids being out of school and, you know, summer, summer box office. And then that'll time perfectly with the release of the movie on DVD for, for Halloween. And, you know, I guess, I guess in a sense, maybe that was a smart move. I don't know that people like, (laughs) you know, it created a lasting legacy. People maybe bought up a whole bunch of DVDs around Halloween time. I don't know. 
I yeah, I guess to your point, it probably continues to make more money than mm-hmm. some of the bigger things that came out that year from Disney. Yeah, not if this stat's correct though. So it was re- it was released on VHS September 9, 1994. Oh, that's weird. 1994. All right, that that completely obliterates everything I just said <laughs> a year later. Um, and later to DVD, again with a summer release, June 4, 2002. Following the film's release in the later format, it had continued to show strong annual sales, raking in more than a, than $1 million in DVD sales each October. So I guess if, if something like that stayed consistent long enough, maybe they made a good deal, but it's like... I don't know. I, you can't really say that skipping out on bigger box office numbers is worth getting a million dollars from a season of DVD sales. And you also, there's no way to say that like that wouldn't have happened if they did release it's it. True. I don't know. Based on what you just said, my my new conspiracy theory is that someone had a grudge against this movie. Why would you do oh, any of no. that? Why that would you do any of that? What, what an evil person who has a grudge <laughs> against this movie. Completely theoretical. I just, I, why would you not release it that Halloween and then put it on Blu-ray in summer again? It's like, I, this is this is why I, I get so hesitant to judge, too. It was such a different playing field there. It's yeah. like one of, the, one of the things that I learned in, in film school was how quickly the, like, I was on the producing track, so this only pertains to, like, the producing information I needed. But those books, like, turn around <laughs> so often. Like, they come, they become completely obsolete, yeah. like, very soon after publishing. It's true. It's true. It's a... I don't know. I, I I get weirded out because when you factor in the internet and the last, I don't know, I would say 10 years of social change, mm-hmm. like the rate at which all things in society is evolving is so much faster than we can keep up with it. So yeah, maybe that was a really good idea. What, 25 years ago? Yeah. Something like that? 30? Or, you know, sometimes people make mistakes and then you adjust your strategy for the next movie, but what matters is Three times over. What matters is Hocus Pocus is a classic. <laughs> and it rules. And I can't. Oh, so since we're talking about Halloween, I've like decided that I'm pretty sure Halloween is going to start crazy early this year because everyone's super bored and needs something. Yes, please. To focus on. All I right. Like, I, our friend group starts celebrating early anyway. I know yeah. people who start like mid August. I could see it like, the second July is over, people are like, it's Halloween now. I feel like the second, for for me, it's usually the second Labor Day comes and goes. I start to get the feeling, but I feel like rather than like easing myself into it after Labor Day, it's just going to be like full steamed Halloween. My, I was just talking about this the other night with uh, family. Usually the last few years, maybe five, four or five years, um, my my sort of intro to Halloween has been September 15th, 16th, 14th mm-hmm. is always the opening night of Halloween Horror Nights. And yeah. so I go do the press day for that. That's like Halloween kickoff. Yeah, yeah. The week after that is Fantastic Fest. And that sort of helps steer me in. And then once I get back from Fantastic Fest, it's October and it's on. But I won't have that this year. So I'm saying August 1st. <laughs> we are going to make the most of it. Yeah. everybody out there that i haven't Uh, worn actual clothes in a very long time but you better believe i will be sporting halloween looks 
I feel like I need to start ordering some appropriate shirts. I think I'm like, I'm running out of shirts. It's like, I was lucky enough that when I flew back to New York, it's like, whenever I visit my family, I don't have to bring a suitcase. It's like, I have enough here that like, I've got stuff to wear and I don't have to schlep things back and forth, but I didn't have enough to live here. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm reusing too often. Like nobody notices probably, but me, but I notice. That's, I get it. Sometimes that's all that counts. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What else you got? I think I have, I have like one or two more worth mentioning. Yeah, me too. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take us back a little bit. Take us back. Uh, Vertigo. Oh, many, one of the best, if not the best movie of all time, though, I don't agree. Uh, uh, comparatively to a lot of Hitchcock's others, other hits in that era did quite poorly. And uh, I've, I'm trying to find the link. I have too many tabs open. I didn't, know that, I didn't know that Vertigo didn't do well. It did not. I'm. Why do I always have so many tabs, Perry? What info are you looking for? Well, two things. First of all, how little it made compared to Rear Window and Psycho. The box, office on, the box office on this one is listed as $7.3 million. I think, okay. even though I do like Vertigo, I still think Rear Window is better. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm mighty obsessed. I got very, very obsessed with Rear Window and Rope in particular. Those are also two of my favorites by far. Not even- Rear Rear Window made $36.8 million. Yes, and Psycho made thirty-two million. So that's a pretty from. Or, oh, sorry, I'm looking at the numbers, not box office mojo. It might be different. I'm so uh, I'm on Wikipedia at the moment. But point being, it didn't do so hot, and it's really funny. Let's see if I can find these quotes. I guess Hitchcock was like basically said he blamed it on Jimmy Stewart being too old to play a love interest. <laughs> okay. Not bad. Yeah, that's the problem. That sounds like an excuse. Didn't and, and Rear Window came out like what, right around then? Also Jimmy Stewart playing a love interest? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if if that idea really holds, but whatever. It I mean, it's, you know, it, it's nineteen fifty four compared to nineteen fifty eight. It's like that gap isn't making that much of a difference, or at no, least it doesn't I, in my mind. Rewatching both movies today, I I think that perhaps Hitchcock was not a man who took criticism well or failure. What would make you think that? I don't know. It's just a guess. <laughs> but yeah, this one this one is definitely up there as a classic too. I mean. So, so many greatest movies of all time lists. And it, I mean, it, I mean, it's, to be mix. it's honest to God, probably not even in my top 10 Hitchcock, but I know that it is revered at a very high level. I think, I mean, I'm kind of with you. I think I admire it more than I really love it. I mean, for, for me, the favorite Hitchcock movies have pretty much always been rear window rope. I'm also like, really into the birds like i don't i don't care if that movie and the effects didn't age well the feeling still does i think it's just so well put together that like it doesn't matter if the effects can't compare to what we have now it still works i love that movie oh it's so good and i'm i'll also since we're on a hitchcock bent 
Um, I go really hard for Shadow of a Doubt. I go really hard for Rebecca. And I go really hard for The Lady Vanishes. I'm trying to remember which year is the one I like, but it's the later one. Um, I mean, I obviously have to throw in Psycho, too. Psycho is one I could watch over and over and over again. I mean, North by Northwest, I can watch a good deal also. I'll never forget when I... The, the only reason that I got into Hitchcock was because of that, that weird English program I was in in high school. They did a Hitchcock class. And at that time, I think we had an HBO subscription and they happened to have like a Hitchcock menu. And it wasn't every film he made, but it, it was the essentials. And I'll never forget, like, just being a teenager and like waiting to come home from school and like watching the next one on the menu. And I just burned through it in order. And There's- I was hooked. Good. I yeah. know it's a stupid thing to say because it's like, yeah, it's Hitchcock. Obviously, it's good. But I just rewatched maybe 20 of his movies like two years ago. And I was just blown away by like how still today they don't feel well, some of the gender stuff feels pretty out of date. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the mechanisms and the craftsmanship is just as potent today as it was then. And very few filmmakers really pull off like making the most of a high concept uh set up the way that he was able to do whether it's rope or lifeboat or rear window it was all about like this this film built around an idea and then he made it a masterpiece i uh, yeah i feel like we should do it like i i need to find the time when i can rewatch enough to actually like you know sit and properly rank things because i'm i'm crazy like that and i'm afraid to rank things without rewatching them yeah <laughs> which i i learned the hard way with my upcoming james wan piece yes like, I did not need to rewatch The Conjuring. Like, didn't need to. Probably watched it a month ago. You know that. Still, still spent more time on it. Um, you want to go for one more? Yeah, let's do it. Um, can I? All right, two more. I have two more. Do it. Event Horizon is one. Okay. I'm endlessly fascinated by Event Horizon. That movie had a $60 million budget, and you can totally see where that money went. Movie only made $26.67 million worldwide which is nuts to me, especially given how high the obsession level is with that movie. And also when you think about other things that were popular around the time, you know, like you have the, the backbone that alien had created the, the interest for something like that is there. Event horizon is especially dark, but you would think with the cast involved in the whole concept and what was hot at the time that that movie had everything going for it. And it's also crazy when you consider how rampantly successful um, Anderson's Resident Evil yes. films came at the box office. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, were they not even spread that far apart, too? The Resident Evil films? Like, when when was the first one? Oh, God. Early 2000s? Yeah. Oh, I want to know that answer. Wait, I'm going to tell you the answer because I have it right here. So the first... All right. They're pretty spread. They're, they're like five five years apart. The first Resident Evil movie came out in 2002 and Event Horizon was released in 1997. But Event Horizon just feels like a 97 movie for me, you know? Absolutely. Like, especially with, with what I was into at the time. And like, I know I was a kid and maybe you can't compare that to an adult, but I don't know. I just feel like Event Horizon was the kind of movie that my mom would have taken me to see at like too young of an age, you know? Love it. That's the um, kind of life I had when I was a child. 100% the kind of movie my father would have banned and I would have watched from the stairs. <laughs> um, yeah. 
what did I do? Oh, I had a question. Oh, um, did you by any chance revisit the trailer? I'm curious if it was well marketed or if that no, was a factor. Not fresh enough that I can comment on it now, but, um, oh, I, I just, like, I just rewatched Event Horizon for a very, oh, it was, um, it was Jason Isaacs for Scoob. Yeah. I wanted to ask something Event Horizon uh, related. So that like a couple months ago now I rewatched Event Horizon and I happened to have watched the trailer then too, but I can't remember like the specifics of it. I'm going to check that out after this. I'm curious if it was like not a good representation or if it, it, it seems to me like a tough movie to market. Like that's, that's one of those things where I feel like maybe you went in expecting a certain type of, you know, adventure space adventure is probably not the right term but like you expected something a little lighter than what it winds up being yeah it's pretty pretty brutal there it's at the brutal end. i got one more for you okay return to oz <sighs> i love that movie my, my little baby i love I, that movie. i might not love it for the right reasons or the reasons the filmmakers intended but that movie is fucking like batshit crazy i can't get enough of it cost 28 million to make and it made just over 11 million wow and you know it's so crazy again it's one of those things where every single friend of mine was obsessed with this movie when we were supposed to be that just has like so many like kooky crazy elements that it's really hard not to get obsessed with something like that oh gosh and it, it it truly this i'm not unique in this way but it was one of my biggest you know like um gateway horror properties not really i i didn't i actually didn't watch it back then i i came to it much later the funny thing is i was like i was like an adult when i watched it for the first time i watched it in in film school like not that long ago that's pretty crazy but the set so and the reason i watched it is because like one of the big producing assignments that you would get is they put us all into teams and we were each uh we were each competing and we were given different parameters to pitch a project and my team got the biggest of the big we got disney and <laughs> we decided to pitch a remake of return to oz and I watched, so I watched the movie once and I intended to watch it once just to familiarize myself with it a little more. I must have watched it like, like 10 times before that project was over. And now every single time I get the opportunity, I'll put it on. Love that. That's so, I, I love that it held up that well for an adult viewer. Cause as a kid, it was, oh man, the, the, wheelie bros were like always in my nightmares and it made me a yeah. sad that i didn't experience it when i was that young pretty scary the the heads were very yep. uh very scary i i love that movie i still love that movie i would argue that it holds up but i would say that like the way people are like yeah the goonies is still amazing i disagree no. Um, I still quite like the Goonies, but I'll admit some of it's probably nostalgia. It, it is very interesting, though, to not have the nostalgia for Return exactly. to Oz and to have, like, formulated it so far, far ahead there. I'll just throw in one last one that I, I forgot earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's a mystery at all why this happened, but it's a bummer. Halloween 3. I, um, You know, I'm surprised I didn't think that was going to be one of the first ones that you said. <laughs> Yeah, that that one that one's a bummer, and and it is. It's like a franchise favorite now. Yeah, and it's it's so good. It well, really holds up. It's a it it is maybe like the most Halloween spirited of the yeah. Halloween film. Here, 
Here's an interesting thought, though. Like I wonder, so it didn't do well at the box office. I wonder if its if its legacy was kind of propelled by the shittier installments that came after it. It's like when you get a shittier installment later on, you gain more appreciation for the one that you were dismissing before. I think that's certainly a part of it. I I'll, also I don't know, like the whole hindsight is twenty twenty thing. We all love Michael Myers, and we've seen many versions and many sequels and yada yada. But I'm really a bit mournful for the the anthology approach that got killed on the spot because that did so poorly. I think that would have been, you know, a Halloween-centric anthology of films. Of, of course I want that in my life. That's I want more cool. of that now. Yeah, that should be Blumhouse. Bring that back. Like, keep yeah, your right. Halloween going and then also do a Halloween anthology. Why not? Yeah. Really, why not? Or this isn't horror, but I would apply that same mentality to the Jurassic franchise. Mm. Keep that going, but then give me a Jurassic anthology of regular people getting used to living in a world alongside dinosaurs. I'm into it. I want Just that. a bunch of those shorts, the the rock, whatever. The, the a Battle of Big Rock. Yeah, I'm like, not picnic and hanging rock, but something and <laughs> something rock. <laughs> yeah, uh, very, very different. And then, uh, then all I thought of was uh, Brighton Rock. Okay. What like, what, uh, what's Rock Fans uh, movie's full okay. title? Something at Brighton Rock. Body at Brighton Rock. Body at Brighton Rock. That's it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the two of us. Um, I have to say something. While we were talking about the, the return to Oz, um, Walter Murch, the director, weirdest IMDb. I encourage everyone to go pour over it. Fascinating okay. career. Only directed the one movie. Then the only other thing he's directed is an episode of The Clone Wars. He has done sound department on countless films. He has edited so many oh, classics. It is a fascinating, fascinating. I'm Vinny and I spent like an hour going down a rabbit hole. Oh, wow. That's a very unique filmography there. Yeah, it's very interesting. And it, he um, he's always my pick for like, a cheeky answer to who's the best director who's only made one movie. Cause people always think of up and comers. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that play. All right. That is our, that is our episode for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed that discussion. It was fun to do a topic like that and to get to revisit a whole bunch of things that we love. It was fun. And I, I, I missed you last week. I love our relic episode, but it was I know. advanced and I didn't get my parry time. Something really throws me off when we when we pre-tape episodes and then don't have our weekly meeting. I know. <laughs> I feel I feel like whenever that happens in the future, we just have to like make sure to have I don't know, like can we call like a fake witching hour meeting? Like a <laughs> exactly. like a prep meeting for no reason at all. Harry and I need an hour to work on things. Don't don't tell anybody on the Collider staff that we're planning this, please, guys. <laughs> Matt, don't tell anyone. You're going to watch this. You might watch this. I don't know. I was going to say, nobody on Collider watches this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Haley, where can everybody find your work on the internet? You Well, uh, do check out my favorite horror movies of 2020, if you're so inclined, which is on Collider today. Don't be mean about it. Everyone has different opinions. Um you can find me on Twitter at Haley Fouch and on Instagram at Haystack McGroovy. And I am on Twitter and Instagram at P. Nemiroff. 
I'm not thinking about my handle as hard as that face would have just suggested. I'm thinking of what else I should promote. And I should probably promote my Collider Ladies Night episode with Emily Mortimer, who was an absolute delight. And for anybody who wants like cool relic information, she told me her character's full backstory. And it's very interesting. What else is there? Do you you know what else I did? So she gave me the in for this because she brought up her husband, Alessandra Nivola, who is in Jurassic Park 3. So there's like a little a little section of the interview when I got to blab about how much I love Billy in Jurassic Park 3 and how I think he's such an underrated character. And just made made my day. I made her very happy, too. (laughs) I think she appreciated it. I think she thinks that I'm off my mind with it, but I think she appreciated it. (laughs) That's great. I love her. I'm so glad that she's as lovely as she always comes across on screen. That she is. All right, guys. We're out of here. That's it. You have officially survived the witching hour. Stay little chico, pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just two bucks on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.